At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back. Welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Tuesday, January 9th, 2024 edition. And we have uh, an interesting show today, a, a crypto-infused show, shall we call it. And there's a lot of hype around that industry at the moment. We're going to dig into what looked like an approval for a Bitcoin ETF today, and that's been walked back a bit. So we're going to dig into what could be lying ahead tomorrow. And a potential announcement that didn't happen today, but what is going on there and what does that mean for the potential investability of crypto and, more importantly, Bitcoin? So our goal, whether we're talking about crypto, traditional markets, personal finance, whatever that is, is to help you have the right frame of mind. Have the right outlook so that you understand the likely path ahead as well as the risks and rewards for everything that you do when it comes to your money. And our job is to give you the perspective developed over 20 plus years of investment experience as well as give you data and actionable material that can help you make that next decision and then the next decision and then the next decision, right? It's not just about finding that stock to buy. It's about having the frame of mind to be successful, to make consistent, good decisions with your money. Now we're going to talk about the market performance for today, as well as run down the show topics that we're going to hit on. But as always, we're going to hit our first caller question now. Hello, guys. I wanted to know what you guys thought about PANW, Palo Alto Networks. I know it's had quite the run-up in the last year, but I was comparing the company to others in the cybersecurity sector, and it seems to be one of the best. Also, I like that they have bought back shares in the last couple of years. I'm willing to be patient on it, but wanted to see what you guys think is a good entry point. Thanks. Love the show. Well, from a long-term perspective, not a great entry point. Multiples are very high. Even if you go based on next year's earnings, $3.41 at a $300 stock, you're nearly 100 times forward-looking earnings. Not exactly cheap. And growth is slowing down. A year ago, two years ago, revenue growth was about 30%. Now it's down to about 20% last quarter. Now, 
you are correct. This is a good business. It's one of the better cybersecurity companies that you can go invest in. However, I'm not seeing what you're saying, which is buying back shares. If they are, it's not showing up in the number of shares outstanding. What you commonly see in, especially in the tech space, where there's a lot of stock-based compensation, is yes, they're buying back shares, but at the same time, they're issuing shares, right? So they're just kind of sterilizing their issuance of shares, and sometimes they're issuing even more shares than they're actually buying back, and that's what's happening here. Because in 2016, let's go back all the way to their IPO back in 2012. They had 199 million shares outstanding. It's called 200. Today, it's at 315 million shares outstanding. So in a little over a decade, the number of shares outstanding has grown by about 50%. And frankly, I don't understand it. They should be keeping that at least flat because they have cash in their balance sheet. They have a good business with $3 billion in free cash flow trading 12 months. But the market cap is about $94 billion. It's called enterprise value. It's probably a better figure to look, to look at here. It's about $90 billion. So based on $3 billion in free cash flow, it's about a 3% free cash flow yield, which for a, gr a company growing this strong, it's not bad. It's not bad. So I think from a valuation perspective, it does look a bit better than that P ratio, the forward-looking P ratio, but it's still very expensive. Price of sales at 14 times. Enterprise value to EBITDA, even looking forward, is 37 times. Both of those very, very high numbers. Now, near-term, technicals, fine. Nothing wrong with technicals. It's in an uptrend. And if you want to ride that near-term uptrend, that's fine. I would say... No reason not to buy it now. But if you're looking from a long-term perspective, this is a valuation that is just too high. So you always have to look at that. When you're ever looking to buy something, there are there's a short, often medium, and especially long-term view of valuation and company strength. And it can fit one and not the other, and vice versa. So... Make sure you understand uh, those differences. So as a trade, riding that wave right now, fine, long-term, I would wait for a better price and uh, a time where maybe they're down on their luck. Maybe things don't look quite as good. And that's usually actually the better time to be picking it up. Now, we have a lot of ground to cover over the next 40 minutes. Our main focus concerns this topic. What's the story on the SEC and the Bitcoin ETF? Now, against the backdrop of SEC Chair Gary Gensler's long-running fight with the crypto industry, there are 13 companies that have filed for a spot Bitcoin ETF and a judge that has forced the SEC to reconsider. But I'm going to dig into the story and help you understand in context what is going on here and... What are the odds it actually gets approved today or tomorrow? We're also going to touch on the jobs report on Friday. The headline number, a bit misleading. So I want to dig into the details of what is called the household survey. There's the establishment survey. That's the one that gives you the headline number, oh, 100 and something thousand jobs created, et cetera. 
Then there's the, the household survey, which actually calls up households and surveys them. So we're going to look at that. Also, there's a new study that came out in October of last year in the International Journal of Finance and Economics. And it studied in 30, sorry, 19 different countries the relationship between interest rates and economic growth. So you might think the traditional view is lower interest rates, stronger economic growth. Well, what does the data say? We're going to look at that. And then lastly, Blackstone, in the midst of their B-REITs, closing or gating themselves to redemptions, they're actually now trying to issue private equity funds for the masses. Pretty funny here. So we're going to look at that and whether that makes sense for you as an investor. We also have some voice bank questions. One is on money management and as well as Sencora, C-O-R. Now, as we go to a break, let me remind you to check out our new Invest.Classroom Classroom series on how to prioritize your savings. Luke and I dig into this topic in a short six-minute video. You can search Invest.Classroom Classroom on YouTube and click on the episode 14 on how to prioritize your savings. Now, the phone lines are open waiting for your questions at 888-99-CHART. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. Would this be an opportune time to get into annuities? Everyone's situation is different. Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. And so are their questions. And I was just calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. To get your take on Chewy. Ticker symbol L-E-C-O. Just wanted to get your opinion on... JP Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein. You know, I'm okay paying a fair price for a very good business. Steve Peasley. It's a very well run company. And now Luke Guerrero. Even to growth is significantly higher than its competitors. Are ready to provide their unbiased answers. Each podcast is unique, and you set the agenda. I will. Hey, hi, Steve. 24-7, rain or shine. Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. Call 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. For serious investors, it's all about achieving financial freedom. That's why the unbiased guidance offered by Steve and Justin is so valuable. The Invest Talk Anytime listener lines are open now, and Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Now let's take a look at the market performance for today. It was a decidedly mixed market, but mainly down. You had small caps down 71 basis points, 0.71%. The broad market was down 18 basis points after a pretty nice surge overall uh, in, in equities yesterday, uh, which kind of put most indexes flat for the year. I know we're only a week in, but that's kind of uh, where the markets still kind of lie most of all. So still a lot of choppiness. And they always say as the first five days of the year go, that's how the rest of the year goes. And... Yesterday was the was the close of the fifth trading day, and it's kind of flat. 
and we had a down move, and we had a pretty strong up move. And I actually see that as a small microcosm of what is likely for this year. Now, I still think we can end positive, but unlikely to be as trending as last year. And you say, well, we had big down moves in the spring and late summer. Yeah, but generally the trend was higher. And frankly, neither of those moves were earth-shattering. They were standard run-of-the-mill pullbacks in the markets. And that's one thing I want to communicate as we go, as we, as we embark on this year, is that years like last year, are more typical. Like most people see that volatility that we saw with the banking crisis and in, in, in the late summer as worrisome. It got, in both instances, it got a lot of people bearish. And I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that people got used to low volatility. Because of low interest rates, because of financial repression. But if you look pre-financial crisis, the average decline in every given, any given year was about 10%. So 10% pullbacks in the market should be the expectation in any given year. Now, that can start off strong, right, and you get a pullback mid-year, and but you're still up overall in the year. Or you could start the year with a pullback. That can happen as well and be down for the year. There's no set when exactly that 10% pullback should happen. But as an equity investor, that's what you should be expecting. Oh, the market pullback 10%, no big deal. That's what they do. And that's why I always say, a lot of people will think, oh, well, I'm invested conservatively. And they say that because they are invested in big blue chip, non-cyclical stocks, think consumer defensive companies like Procter & Gamble, right? And they think that's conservative. No. There are no equity positions that are conservative. Zero. There is not one equity that is listed on the exchange that you could say, is categorically conservative. There are less volatile, there are more volatile, but they are all volatile to a degree that would consider, put, put all of them in the aggressive camp. And so this year, this, this little microcosm in, you know, this, this little start to the year should likely be a microcosm for the rest of the year. And it should not be unexpected. So I wanted, to, I wanted to really highlight that because one of our jobs here is to have all of our listeners, when they make investment decisions, go in with their eyes wide open to the potential rewards as well as the risks. And if you, if you don't do that, you are bound to make a lot of mistakes. Now, as we head into a break, let me remind you that you that we are happy to play your recorded voice bank questions, but we love your live calls as well. So the number never changes and it never closes. It's 888-99-CHART. 
Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Let's go to John and Milpitas. He wants to talk about Uber. Yeah, I would like to ask you about Uber. Okay. Uh, is that too late to get in? Or I should wait for pullback? Thank you. I listen on the show. Thank you. Well, Uber is, in my mind, very similar here to what I just said with Palo Alto Networks. Both have good uptrends. The technicals are fine. But the valuations are stretched. Forward-looking earnings, $1.78 at a $60 stock. You're talking a mid to high 30s forward-looking multiple. Free cash flow, $2.3 billion. Good, clean balance sheet. Not a whole lot of debt, which is good. But that's because they've been issuing shares consistently throughout the years. And until that reverses... I'm not going to get excited about its long-term prospects here. And remember, this is a very cyclical name. And what you see here is revenue growth is slowing dramatically. A couple years ago, revenue growth was up over 100%. Now, part of that was pandemic recovery, et cetera. But now, last quarter, revenue growth is only 11%. Now, the one positive I would say about this is for years, Uber had trouble clearing a profit, or having positive cash flow. And as of late 2022, it was consistently in in positive cash flow territory. And that's been getting stronger. But once again, this is going to be a very cyclical name. If you go through an environment where people are getting laid off, weaker job market, less people will be taking Uber. And I look at these a lot like I look at airlines. Do you care if you take an Uber home from the bar or a Lyft? For most people, as long as you're home safely, that's fine. Do you care who delivers your food, Uber Eats or DoorDash? No, probably not. Well, I think there's some value to the platform. I would not be buying at these valuations. I'd be looking for a better time when, you know, maybe we're coming out of a tough economic time. So near term, I think the trends are fine, that the chart is fine, but valuation is, is stretched. Uh, and I wouldn't be buying it here for a long term. Now, my focus point concerns this topic. What's the story on the SEC and Bitcoin ETF? And there was a very interesting pump fake. I call it pump fake, right? I play basketball all the time. Pump fake. And it was from the SEC's Twitter account. And it was approving the Bitcoin ETFs. And then about 10, 15 minutes later, Gary Gensler, the chairman of the SEC, said, "Uh uh-uh. Our account was hacked, and that was fake. So it's very interesting to see you know, the, the price of Bitcoin move dramatically. It's now down a little bit from uh, that initial news. And maybe, on, maybe this is an indicator that it isn't going to be approved. 
those within the crypto space, they absolutely think it's going to be approved. I'm in the mind that is there, uh, I'd say it's 50-50. Now let's, let's back up here. And what is happening? What kind of brought us to this moment? Now, what brought us to this moment has to do with a, an application by the Bitcoin, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust to turn themselves into an ETF. So it was a, a different kind of fund and they wanted to turn themselves into an ETF. And they were denied by the SEC. And the U.S. Court of Appeals ruled that the SEC has already approved a futures-based Bitcoin ETF product and failed to explain why it had refused to approve a spot Bitcoin product. So the difference is futures are derivatives. Spot is owning the underlying. Okay? So it's basically the difference between paper, owning it on paper, versus actually owning the asset. And the court argued that the futures and spot markets are like products. And if the, if the SEC approved one, it logically had to approve the other. Now, what's, it basically forced the SEC to go back to the drawing board and say, and relook at this. And there's what is called a 12B4 filing. And it, it would be a creation of a Bitcoin ETF is basically a rule change under the S Securities Exchange Act of 1934, because this would be a new product. So it would have to change the rules, okay? And the deadline for that filing is actually tomorrow. So that's why there's so much hype around this. And then the uh, S1 is the approval of all of these different ETFs that have submitted their requests for approval. That's 13 different spot Bitcoin ETFs. So the fees are very widely, they're, they're, they're pretty high uh, for the most part. Uh, but really what's happening here, the big question is, Will the SEC legitimize Bitcoin itself? And are there other arguments that says the spot ETF is materially different than a futures ETF? And they could say things like security, right? Owning a derivative is very different than owning actually and holding the asset. Could there be security issues with that? I think that's a pretty good argument. So I still think it's about 50-50, but very interesting uh rule that is going to either be approved or not tomorrow and have a big impact on the space. And either way, I actually think it's probably going to go down either way, near term. Now we're heading into a break. I'm Justin Klein. I'm taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers. Whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, 
not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hey guys, this is Odin from Texas. Just had one question for you. I was wanting someone to manage some portion of my money, but I noticed you guys only manage $100,000 and up. So I was wondering if you had any advice on who to go to for around $50,000 to start out managing. Any advice on your show would be greatly appreciated. Uh, Love the show. Thanks a lot, guys. Well, when you have that amount of of money, uh, then it's typically best for a robo-advisor. And that'll keep you kind of on the, the straight path, it, you know, won't veer you too far one way or, or the other. Uh, you know, the better advisors they do, you know, require uh, a fairly large um, base amount of investment. So, you know, when you're at 50,000, you typically aren't don't get access to kind of the best. So a simple robo advisor, and that they're, they're almost all the brokers have them these days. Uh, and, and that would probably be the best way to go and focus more on the savings aspect. Um, because the, the investment aspect is, is not going to be nearly as important, right? Because you don't have a large nest egg that you're pulling interest off of or anything like that. You, you're going to grow that. You're going to probably invest it aggressively. Uh, and the robo advisor can, can help with that, but it's really going to be about the saving consistently. And then when you get to a certain uh, amount, you know, six figures and higher, that's when you start engaging with, uh, an, an advisor. All right. Thanks for the call. Now let's talk about the jobs report on Friday. And the headline was all about December numbers and how they beat economist forecast. But the caveat is that that was the establishment survey that actually talks to businesses. But then there's the household survey, which was decidedly weaker. Now, there were some gyrations with how many people were in the workforce versus those that actually had a job. And that kind of made the the numbers... Um, difficult to, to decipher. Uh, but the three-month pace of job creation declined from 206,000 per month to 174,000 per month. So that was a, a big takeaway from that household survey, showed that the labor market did take a notable, noticeable step lower. Another most, Im- the, the most important data point that I saw last week had nothing to do actually with this, this survey or the establishment survey or the household survey or whatever, right? It was the ISM services. And that was the labor, uh, the, the labor report, the sub index of that. And that was at 43, which 50 is neutral and 43 is absolutely recessionary. So that was the first indicator that we are having another step lower in the jobs market and kind of backed up the market's expectation of a Fed cut by March, just a couple of months from now. 
Now, getting back to the household survey, nominal labor income growth returned to its pre-pandemic levels as well. So asking people, you know, how much they're making and looking at the average wage growth per month. What that means is we're no longer in a tight labor market. It's probably based on that figure at best neutral. And on top of that, if you look at the establishment survey, which gives you that headline number, since the pandemic, less and less businesses have actually been responding to it because those type of surveys that are, that are asking businesses have, be, have actually diverged from underlying hard data within the economy. Going back to Going back to the uh, ISM data point, that's a hard data point. Okay. Now the U6 unemployment rate that did tick up a little bit, uh, 0.1%. And what basically this is, is telling you is that a lot of people retired at the end of 2023. So that was kind of creating that, that weird look uh, on a lot of these surveys. But overall, we're at best in a balanced labor market with a slight tilt towards a weak labor market. Uh, And that was the actual story that the numbers were telling you besides just that headline number. Now let's go to San Francisco and talk with Sonny. He wants to talk about Boeing. Yeah. Hi. Uh, Thanks, Justin, for taking my call. I have a question about the stock Boeing. Uh, It is, uh, you know, it has come down a little bit in the last few days. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if it's a good time to get in and, uh, you know, go for the short term and make a quick trade. I think Boeing is one of the poster childs over the past 10, 15 years of bad corporate leadership. And I would say, in this instance, terrible corporate leadership. They bought back shares, they leveraged up their balance sheet, and then COVID hit and they, they demanded a bailout. And they got a bunch of money from the government. But as you can see, their 737 MAX has been an absolute failure. From the plane crash, uh, I forgot where it was, but you know it's basically because of software issues. This latest one where a door flew off, part of the airplane just flew off uh, just a, a couple, two, three months after entering service. Boeing should not be touched by any investor until leadership changes. This company needs a complete gutting of leadership. Almost everybody from the top down should be fired and replaced. It has been a dumpster fire for the better part of a decade. Yeah, they lost a bunch of money during COVID, and that's understandable. But they continue to lose money, and it has less to do with COVID and more to do with poor leadership, poor execution on these planes. So no, (laughs) absolutely not. I think this recent incident is just one of many 
that you've seen over the past decade, where it's clear that leadership is more focused on financial engineering, enriching themselves as opposed to building quality products. I think the organization there is, seems from the outside looking in, rotten to the core. And so, absolutely not. I would run far, far, far away from Boeing. You are much better served by allocating your, your capital in the vast majority of, of, of companies uh, in the marketplace today. Now let's keep things moving and make it two in a row from the Invest Talk Anytime Listener line at 888 Chart. Hi, Justin. I had a question regarding ticker symbol C-O-R, that's the Flora. It looks like it's been going up, 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 and I wanted to see if you thought this was a time to good get in. Should I wait for a pullback? And if this is a good long-term hold. Thank you. All right, this is Sencora, about a $42 billion market cap. And it's trend, the, the, the chart is fine. The chart is in a strong uptrend. It is one of the three largest domestic leading pharmaceutical wholesalers. So it sources and distributes branded, generic, and specialty pharma products to pharmacies, hospital networks, and healthcare providers. So it's a kind of a triopoly between them, McKesson, and Cardinal Health, which together constitute 90% of U.S. pharma wholesale industry. Now, it's expanding overseas, so that's uh, where the growth is coming from. And they, let's see, let's look at the trends. Yeah, the, the revenue growth is low teens, earnings growth low teens. I like the consistency here. I don't think it's overvalued. Uh, let's let me look at the balance sheet. That might be the only no balance sheet looks fine as well. Yeah, I'm gonna say I, I wouldn't say this is cheap, but it's in an uptrend. It's fairly valued. It's a good business. I'll give Sencora a thumbs up. Now we started a new year and a fresh first quarter. And the big question for you as investors: Are you prepared for 2024 and beyond? And if you're a serious investor, you need strategies that fit these times, these unique times. So I encourage you, if you need help understanding whether you're in the right position, to reach out to me at KPP Financial, where we, where we provide unbiased guidance, both on and off air, and we practice parallel investing, which means you invest right alongside our clients. And you can take advantage of a free portfolio review assessment that we do via GoTo Meeting. All you have to do is send us a message through investtalk.com. Click on the portfolio review button on the top right-hand part of the screen. And our work continues in 30 seconds, so hang on. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. Calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. Everyone's situation is different. I just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan. And so are their questions. Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. Each podcast is unique, and you set the agenda. I'm wondering if now. 24-7, rain or shine, Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. 888-99 Chart. Now, do lower interest rates 
create economic growth? Well, if you studied central bank activity over the past 15 years, you would say, of course it does. That's what they've been doing. They've been repeatedly reducing nominal interest rates to zero or in some cases negative territory over in Europe. And with, with the eye towards increasing economic growth. But there's a new study that was published in the International Journal of Finance and Economics that actually studied the link between nominal interest rates and real economic growth. They looked at 19 different countries and they studied industrial production on a monthly basis as an indicator for real economic activity. And then they looked at three types of nominal interest rates, overnight call rates, think the Fed funds rate, three-month interbank rate, closely linked to that overnight rate, and then the 10-year government bond rate. Obviously, the U.S. had the longest track record going back to 1955, but on average, they had a 30-year period to study over those 19 different countries. And what they found was that the only time that those that relationship was negative, negatively correlated, was during crises. Outside of crisis periods, there was actually a positive correlation, which means that unless there's a crisis, central banks should actually be looking to raise interest rates. in order to boost economic activity. Lowering interest rates aren't likely to be effective unless you're in some sort of a crisis. And it makes sense. Couple reasons. In a crisis, there needs to be activity that boosts asset prices. Lower interest rates tend to do that. And instills confidence. And interest rates can do that in rough times. But in normal times, what you actually want is a upward sloping yield curve, which incentivizes banks to go out there and lend. If the yield curve is inverted, they have very little incentive to go lend. They can just go stick their assets into short-dated higher yielding assets. Think of what's happening today. And so this was very interesting to study because there's that general sense consensus held by the largest banks in the world, central banks, the most influential banks in the world. But they explain, these, these, uh, these professors, they say our evidence shows that policymakers aim at higher economic growth should instead be looking to arrange for interest rates to be moving higher. And that lower short rates and pushing, lowering short rates and pushing long rates down flattens the yield curve and drives banks to lend for asset purchases, hurting economic growth. So basically saying, Banks just put money in assets as opposed to lending to the real economy.
And that makes total sense. So it's pretty clear that central banks need to think a bit different in order to manufacture better economic outcomes. Simply lowering rates is no longer supported by the data. There are certain times where lower rates make sense, but those are rare occurrences as opposed to the base case. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here each and every weekday to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888 chart Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. How they get there and when they get there, that depends on many variables. The more you learn about how the market works, the better your chances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, this is Andrew from Atlanta, I'm trying to reach uh, Justin or Luke, trying to look for your analysis on the ticker symbol APA. That's APA Corporation. It is uh, its subsidiaries explores for develops and produces natural gas, crude oil, and natural gas liquids. Where do you think this stock is going? I've been holding it for a second, and if I wanted to try and purchase more of it, what what do you think is a good price? I'll listen for your answer on the show, and we're praying for Steve. Thank you. Are looking at Apache, and Apache has been, they call it APA, but this is Apache, and it's been around for a long time, and has operations here in the U.S., Egypt, North Sea, and Suriname, and it is 64% is of their reserves is oil and natural gas liquids, the remainder is natural gas, so it's about, call it two-thirds oil and a third natural gas. Uh, Apache has been known throughout the years to be able to squeeze out the squeeze out of older wells, uh, what other companies couldn't do. Um, that's typically their, then their, their strength. Uh, the trends here are, are not great. However, uh, if you look at Apache versus the broader XLE, it's been trending down since August. If you look at the earnings, the earnings revisions continue to head downward. The technicals are at six to, to the relative strength at sixteen, so the technicals aren't strong either. I think you have better opportunities in the oil patch. This is not a name that uh, is near the top of our list. Okay, so look for others within this space. Now, lastly, let's touch on Blackstone, and we know Blackstone and the B REIT, Blackstone Real Estate Investment Trust. They gated redemptions recently. It was at the end of 2022, I believe. And investors continue to have trouble getting their money out. And to fill the hole, right, because they can no longer really raise capital to go into BREIT when companies or, or when investors can't get their money out. So they're trying to find new ways to get the average investor to invest in their private investment vehicles. And Blackstone is launching... Blackstone Private Equity Strategies, and it's the largest ever for a retail vehicle. 
And to me, this smacks uh, is the same thing all over again. A very opaque vehicle with high fees that's illiquid. They're going to charge one and a quarter percent base and then 12 and a half percent fee above a 5% annual return. So anything above that 5%, they're going to take 12 and a half percent of that. And to avoid a risk of a fire sale, investors must accept limited liquidity. Investors are only allowed to pull out 3% of the total fund's assets at any given quarter before that limit kicks in. The current B read is 5%. So there's even less wiggle room for these investors to get their money out. And it's going to be in a very complex product. They're going to blend private equity buyout strategies as well as preferred equity investments and investments in biotech companies. And it hasn't even set a dividend rate. And this comes straight out of the prospectus. Quote, the valuations of BXPE's assets may differ from liquidation values that could be realized in the event that BXPE were forced to sell assets, end quote. So what it's saying here, once again, is we're going to take your money, we're going to charge you a high fee, and we're going to gate redemptions to a very low amount per quarter. Think about it, 3% per quarter, it's going to take you nearly a decade to get your all, money, all your money out, if you want it out. And on top of that, we're going to tell you your assets are worth X, but the reality is we're just making that up to a degree, obviously with limitations, but for the most part, they're making it up. These are private investments. They're not publicly traded. There's no, there's no price discovery. It's whatever Blackstone wants to tell. They're investors, and they've already raised over a billion dollars. Shows you how powerful the Blackstone uh, brand is. But as you can see with history, you want to avoid these type of things. All right, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. You can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And make sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.